to dive into God's word, our reading for today is, is Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12, it's the Beatitudes. So we're going to read those, then we'll have a time of prayer, I'll pray for the quilts and for our old time together, and then we'll jump to the message for today. Sound good? Okay. Let's go to God's word together. The Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you by the power of your Holy Spirit present among us and in us. We come to you by the mediation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, your Son. Lord, I pray that, that your presence would strengthen us in this time to hear your word rightly, that we would hear your love for us, not just in an abstract way, but in a very personal way, that your love would break through all of the thoughts and feelings that we bring into this place, that it would break through and touch our hearts, that we would know that we truly are your children, that we would be assured of that, that there is nothing we can do that will keep us away from you and your kingdom because of what your son has done. And Lord, I thank you for this place. I thank you that for year after year after year, your spirit has been working in and through the people here to bless Elkhorn, to bless the surrounding community, that your word is proclaimed from this place, your word of forgiveness and love. And God, I thank you for the dedication and the generosity of those who have worked hard to create these beautiful quilts that will be sent out around the world. Lord, I pray that whoever these quilts touch, whosoever hands they find themselves in, Lord, that your spirit, that your grace would touch the hearts of that person, that you would use these quilts to your own glory. And God, we thank you that you are with us, that you are for us because of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever met someone who unexpectedly blasts you with a vision of life that you had never seen before? When I, when I was in college, I, I studied film at UWM, and I spent many an hour... Uh, working in these uh, dark, dingy little editing suites in the basement of Mitchell Hall, splicing 16-millimeter film together and 
all of that stuff, and it was wonderful, and I loved every minute of it. But I, I also spent so much time there that I, was also, I would also sort of spend the nights there as well sometimes. So I would just work through the night, and, and all of a sudden the sun's up, and I need coffee, and I need to get home. And so one morning, um, I had spent the whole night editing, and I walked into the union uh, at UWM, and it's a busy, bustling place. People are grabbing breakfast and all that, students everywhere. And all of a sudden, this, this uh, middle-aged woman sort of stands right in front of me and kind of blocks my route. And she's just looking at me with, with big eyes and this great big smile. And she says in, in very broken English, do you want to study the Bible? And I was kind of taken aback. I was so dazed. I was so tired. I was in such a strange place that I didn't really know what to do with that. I was not expecting that on, on campus. Um, but she had such an openness and such a gentleness and, and such a presence and peace about her uh, that I, I, I really couldn't say no. It just, it just made me pause for a minute when I saw her demeanor and the presence that she carried. And so I kind of stuttered the words out. Like I said to her, is this like a group thing? Is it, where, where are we meeting? What? I don't understand. And she kind of just looked at me and nodded and smiled. And it, it turned out that she said, no, I just, just you and me, study the Bible together. And I thought, okay. I, I could not say no. I couldn't say no to that kind of gentleness and that meekness. It, it just hit me. It, it, it blocked my route and just, it just hit me. And so I, I met with her for over a year, every week, and we read the Bible together. And her English got better and better. And we learned the scriptures together. And this is, this is the Bible that she gave me, uh, you know, some 15 years ago, falling apart and breaking. And it still works, still using it. But she, what, what made me come back to her week after week wasn't necessarily the insight of her teaching, right? She taught very simply. So it wasn't that. But it, what it was is that, that she lived a kind of life that I wanted. She carried a presence with her that just drew me in, that gentleness, that meekness, that peacefulness. It's something I had rarely seen in my life before that time, and so it struck me. In fact, I, I would describe it this way. Her life seemed to sing. Her life seemed to sing in a world full of so much noise. It stood out. It shined. There's a piano in the cancer center at Freighter, where I work. And I will often walk into that building, and, and someone is, is sometimes playing the piano, just beautiful melodies, kind of cascading through the hallways of, of that lobby area. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked into the cancer center, it just hit me. This beautiful music just hits me. And I love hearing that piano in a place like that, because that is, is a song of life. It's the sound of life in a place where people are, are fighting day in and day out. They're fighting against death. But it's, it's this beautiful music of life that sort of storms that place and permeates that place and breaks the noise of death and illness and loss. It just kind of breaks in that song, that song of life. And it always reminds me that the noise of death in this world 
the noise of loss and of brokenness will one day be silenced in its totality because of the life of Jesus Christ, a life that's saying, a life that's saying mercy, that's saying peace, that's saying meekness, that's saying love. It just poured out of him. And it's going to be that love that destroys death in the end. And that little piano music, when I walk into the cancer center, that brings it right to mind. In the passage I read, which is a very famous passage, the Beatitudes, Jesus describes a life that sings. This is a human life that sings. It's, it's a vision of what human life can be and will be and should be. This, in, this, in these pages is, is the way human life was always meant to be. But it's not just, a, it's not just a, a, an attractive philosophy or a beautiful picture. It's actually lived out. It's lived out perfectly and purely in this man, Jesus Christ. And that's what's so different about this. It's because it's not just a philosophy. The disciples are looking at this Jesus and seeing a kind of humanity that they have never seen before. And so if you wonder sometimes why the disciples in the Gospels seem so confused and so slow to respond and slow to understand what the heck is going on with this Jesus, it's because they're looking at a man they have never seen before, a man who showed a kind of humanity that had never been seen before, that this, this kind of gentleness is the way human life was always meant to be. And it kind of block, it gets in their way. It gets in their way. They've never seen a love like that. I'm listening to a biography of Robin Williams, which is a fantastic book. Um, it's one of the newer biographies, and um, the author, you know, obviously Robin Williams was a comedian and actor, great talent. Um, the author is describing some of his early moments as a comedian um, in New York and then in San Francisco. And, and he talks about how other comedians would look at him because he would get on stage with such energy and exuberance and passion that he started to kind of blow people away. And other comedians would look at him, and, and one of them described um, the way that he performed uh, like this. He said, he said to try to match the energy and exuberance of, of Robin would be like trying to catch a shooting star with a baseball glove. It, it's, not that, it's not just that he was funnier. It's not just that he was smarter or quicker. But it's that he was in a, in a league of his own. It was sort of another category. And that's, that's the kind of humanity that, that Jesus Christ shows to us. It's so different than our normal daily lives in the world we see around us. It's almost another category. And yet, by his grace, this is, this is the humanity that he invites us into, that he welcomes us into. Notice in, in, in our passage, Matthew says that Jesus is seated on the mountainside. And commentators are quick to note that this, this referencing of Jesus' posture as being seated, it's not an accident. Because kings are the ones that are seated on their thrones. And so we have the disciples coming to Jesus who is seated on a mountainside, which brings back these great images of Moses. And yet Jesus is greater than Moses, more powerful than Moses. Jesus is directly bringing them God's word as a king, seated on his throne. And they gather around his throne in awe and in adoration of this Jesus. And he begins to teach them what we've come to call the Beatitudes, which is a word that simply means 
supreme blessedness. Supreme blessedness. There are, there are nine of these beatitudes, and I'll, I've decided I'll cut it down and just do an hour on each of them. We'll be out of here by dinner. If that sounds good to you, I won't. I'm, all, I'm already halfway done here. But the, the problem with preaching on the Beatitudes is that it's so easy to turn these into laws. It's so easy to turn these into rules that must be followed. But that's not at all what they are because there are no imperatives in this passage. It's all indicatives. It's all descriptions of what a real human life is supposed to look like. And in fact, what Jesus' life looks like, the one who is perfectly poor in spirit, perfectly humble before his Father, who is perfectly meek and pure in heart and generous and merciful, and he is persecuted for his love for the world. So this is what we have here. So it's not that these are rules, right? This stuff, it's not normal. This isn't a normal way of being human. What What is depicted here is not a life that just exists. It's a life that sings. It's a life that sings in a world of noise. It's a life that stands out and shines. And the key to each of these statements is the the first word, which in the Greek is makarios. And that can be translated as blessed, which is in our our version. Or even some translators make it, turn it into happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Um, It can mean fortunate. It can mean privileged, greatly honored. One commentator says, If you get this word right, the rest falls into place. And if you get this word wrong, the whole thing falls apart. So what's the best way of thinking about this word? Blessed. What does blessed mean? For a first century Jew, as Jesus is, and so are his disciples, blessing means flourishing. It means flourishing. But it's not not how we might think of flourishing in the sense of being very successful like being paid six figures and having a big house and having beautiful kids who are all on the honor roll, right? That's kind of an image that our society kind of lifts up as being successful. It's not at all about that. It's about human flourishing in the richest sense. I had a, I had a professor who kept a quote taped above his desk in seminary, and he would have to see this every day as he was doing his work. And it just said simply this, Uh, You can get all A's and still fail at life. So there is a deeper, there is is a deeper reality and a deeper life that God is calling us into that isn't necessarily connected to the way that our society sees success. And that's what Jesus is saying here. A blessed human life, a blessed human life is a life that is fully and unapologetically aligned with God's will and God's pleasure. And obviously, we can only get to that point through the grace of God, through the Holy Spirit working in us. It's not anything we do. It's God's work in us. But that is what blessing means. And the result, the result is this deep and quiet happiness that the world can only dream of. To be blessed is to rest in God's vision and will. For Jesus, this is a life that sings. You can think of it as a life sort of under construction. Because to be blessed is to have God working within you and working through you out into the world. That's what it truly means to be blessed. So the the people that he names in these Beatitudes are blessed because God is working in them and through them. 
to bring his kingdom into the world. So even when it does not look like our lives are adding up to much, when we are broken down and, and crying out in despair, God is working in us and through us to bring his kingdom to life. So we don't measure our lives as Christians by the way the outside world measures success. Success is having God work in you and through you. If you're struggling today, and in a church the size, I imagine there might be people struggling here with grief or guilt or whatever you might bring into this place today. You know, when we come to church, we don't always come happy and clappy. There's stuff that we bring. There's baggage that we bring. If that's you today, if you're struggling with that stuff, with grief and with guilt, know this, that Jesus Christ lives for you. And that his life sings for your life. Even when it feels like all your life can do is, is whimper. Have you ever been in that place where, where you're low and it feels like, I, I can't, I, it's hard for me to be joyful. All, all, my, all my life is doing is sort of this, this whimper is coming out. But the glory of the gospel is that Jesus' life sings in our place. That his life is the perfect righteousness that we bring before God, not our own righteousness. His life is a life that sings. When God claims you as his own, he does so not only to bring you home into the belonging which you have always hoped for, he claims you to cure you, to cure your heart, to give you a new heart, to give you a totally new heart where then it sings as in these pages. That's what the Christian life is. That's what it looks like. I love what what C.S. Lewis says. He says, God became man to turn creatures into sons and daughters. God became man to turn creatures into sons and daughters, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but it's like turning a horse into a winged creature. So it's not that we just get better morally in the the sense that the world understands, but we actually become new kinds of humans. We display a new kind of humanity that will be for the healing of the world, where God's grace and love and mercy flow through us out into the world. This isn't something we do because we decide to do it. We don't live like this. And we don't live like the Beatitudes by picking ourselves up by the bootstraps and just telling ourselves, just do it, you know, like Nike might say. No, this is, this is a deep working of God in our hearts, in us and through us out into the world. This place, this church, is a testing ground for the new humanity. Because if, if, you're, if you're a Christian and you have friends who are Christians, and you're close with them, and and you know their baggage, and they know your baggage, you're going to hurt one another sometimes. And the church is all about practicing the new humanity, practicing what it really means to forgive, practicing what it means to show mercy in a real way. And then that sort of spreads out to the whole world. That's the image of God's work in God's gospel. God's spirit is tuning our hearts every step of the way to sing mercy and to sing love and to sing peace.
not only to those in the pews next to you, but actually to the whole world. All are included, the broken, those who are struggling with mental illness, the despairing, the, the indifferent, the, the people that the world would consider losers. This is what the gospel is for, all of us. I'm not calling you losers, but you know what I'm saying, right? It's for the broken. It's not, it, it doesn't just come to the successful as the world would define it. Right? It comes to those on the margins, on the outside, because that is actually who Jesus became, the one who was cast out of this city to give us life through his death. And it's a glorious thing. God is tuning our hearts to love others as God loves others. What an adventure. What an adventure that is. I had a patient tell me the other day about, about his wife who has a severe illness, and now he's in the hospital, but he, he was telling me how he's been caring for her for years and years and years. Um, and he, he told me very calmly uh, the other day, and I'll never forget it, he just said, you know, caring for her has been the most difficult thing I've ever done. It's been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And it's been the most important thing I've ever done. And I thought, that is a life that is singing. Because it doesn't just sing in abstraction. It's, it's a life that sings in, our, in a real context of our lives. In your office, in your home, in your family, in this city. You know those places where you are, where the love of God can flow through you to others. And that's what happens when your life sings. The world cannot ignore the beauty of this music. And one day, this music will fill the world. It will fill the earth. Because however broken or off-key we are when, your heart, when our hearts are singing, it doesn't matter because our hearts are being made new by Jesus. They're being renewed. And our life begins to sing like his life. Um, I'm reading a book right now called The Second Mountain by... David Brooks, which is a fantastic book. Um, he's he's kind of wrestling with what it means to live a moral life. And he, he shares a, a story about uh, the great Russian novelist um, and Christian, Fyodor Dostoevsky. And in the middle 1800s, uh, Dostoevsky was, um, he, obviously he came, he came to be regarded as one of the greatest novelists of all time, and one of the greatest writers. But in the middle 1800s, he was a revolutionary, and he was actually arrested and imprisoned and sentenced to death with some of his friends by the czar in Russia um, because he had disagreements with the government and all of that. So he was actually um, he was, uh, sentenced to death. And David Brooks um, describes the scene like this. So I'm just going to read this to you. Dostoevsky had been imprisoned in St. Petersburg with a group of other revolutionaries and sentenced to die. The men were marched out into a square in their burial shrouds. The firing squad gathered and the drums sounded. Death was seconds away. Then at that instant, by prearranged plan, a messenger arrived on horseback. The execution was to be stayed. It was to be canceled by the clemency of the czar. The original sentences would apply, which would be hard labor. And then, uh, Brooks goes in 
to describe what happened next to these prisoners who were expecting to die that day. He says, one man broke down crying, singing out, long live the czar. Another man went mad. He, he couldn't deal with, with that. And Dostoevsky was brought back to his cell and, and suddenly was overcome with this, this joy. And Dostoevsky says this, I cannot recall when I was ever as happy as on that day. I walked up and down my cell and sang the whole time. I sang at the top of my voice, so happy at being given back my life. So happy at being given back my life. All the small questions that used to concern him fell away. Right? And then he says this, when I look back on my past and think how much time I wasted on nothing, how much time had been lost in futilities and errors and laziness, how little I appreciated it all. How many times I sinned against my heart and my soul, then my heart bleeds. Never has there seethed in me such an abundant and healthy kind of spiritual life as now. Now my life will change. I shall be born again in new form. Life is a gift. Life is happiness. Every minute can be an eternity of happiness. So you just see this joy just pour out of him because he's given his life back. The Beatitudes are not rules that we are meant to follow. They are the music that a, that a person sings when he or she has been given their life back. And that is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has given us our real lives back. We could do nothing for ourselves. He stood in our place in that firing squad. right? And he took all of that in our place to give us a life, to give us life that we can never lose. And then our hearts sing. To the extent that we know that, our hearts and our lives begin to sing. That's what the Christian life is all about. God is working in you and through you. He is aligning your vision with his. He is putting a song in your heart that will burst out through your life to the whole world, a song of mercy and peace and faithfulness and love. And because of that, you are blessed in the truest sense and I am blessed in the truest sense. So that brings us to, to the, the greatest thing that Jesus had ever done for his people, which is to give his body, to break his body on the cross, to shed his blood for our salvation. And we remember that through the Lord's Supper, which is what we'll be going to now. Sorry, everyone. Papers are mixed up. <laughs> In the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. 
Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Do this for the remembrance of me. For as often as we eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. If you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, no matter what your background, no matter what baggage or pain you bring into this place today, I want to invite you to, to join together and open up your hands as a physical sign of, of surrender to God. And let's pray the prayer that Jesus has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.